0: What a great segue to lead into God's Word. As you see on the screen, you can turn to Genesis 1, and I'll just give you a warning. It'll be about three-quarters of the way through the message that we will then turn to Ephesians 1. Genesis 1. Since I've been your pastor two and a half years, I've talked a great deal about discipleship. I been. Uh, my goal, my heartbeat is that we, bec- that we are disciples, whether we become them or we are, that we are disciples who have us our goal in life to make disciples. Because that's Jesus' words to us. As He went back to heaven, whether you look in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or Acts, He's literally telling us to go and make disciples, And it's pretty interesting, in fact, Bill Hall, a disciple, um, leader in the Southern Baptist Convention, has said, why is it that churches have such a hard time making disciples when that was the one thing that Jesus left us to do? People who know me know that I've been reading a lot. In fact, Brother Sherman and I were talking this morning. Brother Kevin and I talked a lot. I read a great deal, study God's Word a great deal, and I read other writers. I read Steve Smith and... and, uh, I read uh, Robbie Galladay, In fact, the staff has been reading Robbie Gallaty's stuff, and some of you have the book growing up because I gave away 20, 25 copies at our last uh, uh, night meeting. And um, then, lo and behold, last year, two of my friends from my days in Birmingham, Kevin Blackwell and Randy Norris, released a book, entitled Cultivating Discipleship. Now, let me tell you about them before I just explain this, how this plays into my thinking and for us. Both of these guys were pastors in churches nearby where I was pastoring in Alabama. Uh, Kevin went and joined the staff, the faculty at Samford University where he's been for the last five or six years. Randy was pastor, and he came to me the first time he came to the church. He said, I don't be surprised, I'm going to resign next week. And I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to plant a church. That was 17 years ago. And uh, um, he and I spoke a couple of times this week. And last week, uh, you know what a great day we had on Easter Sunday. He, I said, how's it going at the church? And he said, for the first time in our 17 years, we had a thousand, over a 1,000 people in attendance. Is that a good place for an amen? amen. Yes, sir. Randy has has taken this along with Kevin's help. They've been friends since uh, childhood. And they produced a book entitled Cultivating Discipleship. I want you to think about that. That's that's Ten Mile Creek language. Because we're such farmers and gardeners and even growing flowers, we know that 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 dirt there... We have to break it up and make it soft before it receives the seed, and then anything can plant. You drop seed on it, it'll be like the seed on the path that Jesus told about. But when you break it up make it soft prepare the soil, it comes up. Same thing is true with discipleship. As I read their book, I'll just tell you this is not going to, there's no place in your reading material today to tell you this, so I'm going to tell you this is going to be a two-part message, one today, one next Sunday. As I read Randy and Kevin's uh, material, reread it, I might say, is that, and then I talked to Randy about it, is that I thought, man, that, that forms something that we need to have personally. So let me introduce the message this way. Two weeks ago, as a Sunday before Easter, as Palm Sunday, I preached on a message entitled, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And if you remember that message, I know everybody does, just kind of hanging on every word. Is that I I suggested that is he a legend? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he Lord? That's those are important questions for us to know because the culture that you and I run in is telling us other things about Jesus than what we know the Bible teaches. People will tell us he's a great teacher, he's a great moral person, he's a great leader. But they miss who He is. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is God-Man. He is all of God. He is all of man. He is the second person in the Trinity. Don't miss this. He is God's Son. And he tells us, if anyone wants to be my disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, if anyone wants to come after me, he must. And then he lays some things down that are some of those non-compromising things. And folks, if we are going to be his disciples, if we are going to follow him, if we are going to go after him, there is a question that we have to answer that is almost as important as who is Jesus. And that is his question up here. Who are we? And honestly, this morning, I want it to be more personal than who are we. I want it to say, who am I? Who am I? It's a personal question that each of us has to answer. Now, I know there'll be at least one person here who go, Brother Jerry, I'm just me. I'm just me. Don't ask, I just, I am me. Please don't do that. Please don't take that attitude because that devalues who God made you to be. Now we can have fun with who we are, but I will say this that who you the better question may be what defines who you are? Most of you know that my last music position was in Pensacola. And uh, Dr. Butler was our pastor. He was in his 60s. I was around 40, late 30s, 40. We had a great time together. We were like, I would say, as a father-son, almost brother a relationship. And what people don't know, Dr. Butler was well known across our convention because he had been the board of Southern Seminary, Stetson University, and other things. But what people don't know about Dr. Butler is he's a pretty fair musician. How many times have I been in the worship center there at Myrtle Grove in Pensacola, and I'm working at the keyboard, and, and Debbie, he'd come in and sit on the piano and start playing with me. It was so much fun. We just had a great time together. And when we go to parties together, you'll like this, Jackson. We go to parties together. If there was a guitar in the party... It would wind up in Brother Al's hands at some point, and he'd take that guitar, and this is his song. And everybody was always trying to get him to sing it. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. Now, to be fair, he didn't think he was great. He was really a humble person, but boy, he loved having fun. And everybody knew it. So we would just sit down, and we would just have fun together. That was kind of who he was. Today, I just kind of thought that as we thought about this topic, who am I? Who are you? I know it's important because in the past 60 years, at least two songs have been written with those titles, Christian songs. Rusty Goodman wrote one in the late 60s, and Mark, um, what's his name, from Casting Crown wrote one in 2003. Great songs. Here's what I want to say to you. Who you envision that you are, depends on something called your world view. Your world view. There is a... a, It'll come up on the screen in a second. Your world view is how you view the world. If you've never heard that term before, it's probably time for us maybe to have a world view conference because sadly, people inside the church, people who name the name of Christ very often have a very secular world view. It is those world views that make two people look at the same event and come to entirely different conclusions. If we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to find fulfillment in Christ, if we're going to to, uh, be His disciples, if we're going to have meaning in life, we have to discover God's vision for us. And that begins personally. So this morning, just a two-point message. I want to begin with your identity. Your identity. The first step in finding real peace, joy, happiness, meaning, and fulfillment in life is to discover who you are in God. Your connection with God through Jesus depends on this. The truth, the truth is, is that if I tell you about your, if I tell us about our identity, here's the deal. Most of us think the world begins with us. My, what I want, what I like, what I need, and all of this. In fact, uh, we're not going to get. We're not going to read on the screen Genesis one one. But it doesn't say, in the beginning, Todd. It doesn't say, in the beginning, Steve. It doesn't say, in the beginning, Jerry. It says, in the beginning, say it with me, God. Everything begins with God. That, including, that includes who you are. That includes your identity. And it's, and it's up to us to really discover that. If you will, if you can, if you still have your Bible open to Genesis 1, you didn't think I'd get there. We're going to begin reading down in verse 26. I will ask you to stand and read for this portion of the Word. We'll begin reading down in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, they will rule The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Enough said about gender for the day. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. There will be food for you, for the wildlife of the earth, every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I have given Every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He had made. And it was very good indeed. Evening and morning. Excuse me. Evening came and then morning. The sixth day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the moments that remain, I pray that our focus will be on You. I pray that You will open our ears, you'll open our eyes, you'll open our minds, you'll open our hearts, you'll open our souls, so that we can receive what you want us to have, and when we leave here today that we will be full of you, ready to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you look on the screen... It says, God created us in His image. You can leave that there. That's okay. Leave that there. In His image. The theological term, the Latin phrase, Imago day, In the image of God. Every one of you, every one of us, is Imago day. We've been created In the image of God. Our true identity comes from God. So let's consider three things that He did for us when He created our image. First thing, He designed us. He designed us. He didn't just throw us together. (laughs) He designed us. He took some time. He took some creative energy. And then just for good measure, he blew into us the breath of life, and we became a living being. I remind you that he said, let us make, not let there be. That's how the creation started, let there be light. Let there be the firmament. But when he came to man, he said, let us make. You see, the the truth is, is that, He didn't blow His breath of life into any other creation. He didn't take time with any other creation. He gave to you and to me many of His divine attributes. He gave us the ability to relate. He gave us the ability to think. He gave us the ability to reason. He gave us the ability to understand. He gave us the ability to comprehend. And oh, by the way, He gave us the ability to worship. He designed you and me as His Crown creation as his biggest creative achievement. He put his divine thought and energy into us. Y'all don't seem excited. You don't like that? Think about the human body. We have several folks in our congregation that's in the medical field. When John Glass taught me first responder course back in 2017... He had a class of about 15, 16, 17 people, and not everybody were Christ followers, church members. And he said, I say this without apology. I say this without apology. The human body is a divine creation. There is no way it just happened. He said, he said, you start, you have that body that gets messed up. If you give it a chance, it'll heal itself. He said it's an amazing thing, and as I was in the field, like Todd spends so much time in the field, when I was in the field, I was amazed at how this body would respond. He gave it to us. That's how he designed us. So we need to take a step back. If our identity is found in him, he designed us. Maybe, time just to take a moment to state the obvious that some of you will be offended at. Adam and Eve either didn't understand their identity or either had become so, taken it for granted so much and they just counted their lucky stars that they had been put in this wonderful place that they just kind of dismissed him. Folks, please listen. Anytime you take your blessings of life for granted, trouble is on the way. You are giving the evil one... Think about this in the garden. They started taking their blessings for granted and it gave an open door for, to the evil one to slither into your life and steal your identity. This what happened to them. They took their life for granted. They forgot who it was that created them. They forgot who it was that loved them. And when Satan came calling... They weren't ready to handle him. Adam and Eve were there. One of the things that we we men love to do, and it's wrong, blame the women on all our troubles because Eve is the one that bit the fruit. Amen. I heard that. But here's the thing. Eve never heard God say that that fruit was off-limits. Adam was the one that heard God say the fruit was off limits. We've been taught in Sunday school, hopefully not here, that Adam was on the other side of the garden, even was fending for herself. That's not what the Bible says at all. Adam was standing there watching her. Listen, men, and he went passive when he needed to be active and protecting her. You see, this this thing of being a, a spiritual leader, men, men who I'm calling to be kingdom men, out of this whole congregation, we have 13 guys signed up to come be a kingdom man next week. I'm calling on you today to change that number. We we need to be the kingdom men. We don't need to be an Adam that goes to the, standing there by our wife when she's about to make a mistake, and we keep our mouth shut. We need to know in the Lord what our responsibility is. We need to understand our identity in Him. It is true that Paul writes that the woman was deceived, but it is equally true that the man, Adam, went into his sin with his eyes wide open. To me, it's obvious. They began to take their life for granted. They were begin, he began to make his own rules. He began to do his own thing. He perhaps gave God whatever he just wanted to give God. Kind of sounds to me like a 21st century American church member. They sinned. And in their sin, they didn't feel right before God or around God. Disobedience. It doesn't matter what level it is. You do understand there's no little disobedience or big disobedience. Disobedience is disobedience. And when we disobey God, it's the first step in anything, it's the first step to leaving the door open. For Satan to steal our identity. Yes, we are Maja Deo. Satan will steal it if we'll let him. And he did that in the garden. He designed us. But you know what else he did? He deployed us. Hmm. And we know what deployment is. We, we, most of us are military-minded enough minded enough to know that a deployment is a mission. No one, I want to say this so everybody hears, no one is birthed into the kingdom of God for the purpose of simply existing and sitting. No one. And if that's your concept of being saved, you have missed it. God saves us, and He's got stuff for us to do. Hello? He's got things for us to do. In verse 26, it says, Let them rule or have dominion over the fish, the bird, the livestock, and the whole earth. On Wednesday night, we've been studying through Ephesians, and it wasn't too long ago we got to Ephesians 2.10 where it said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God's prepared ahead of time for us to do. My identity and your identity is bound up in the design by, given to us by God with a deployment from God to do what he wants us to do to fulfill his purpose in us. What is his purpose in us? Let me just give you a couple things. It is to show the world God's glory. It is to show the world God's holiness. It is to show the world God's love. It is to show the world God's grace. It is to show the world God's Son. It is to show the world God's wonderful gospel. Now, of all the things i said, and you try to remember them all, there was one continuity, there was one string of continuity through all those things. The glory, the holiness, the grace, the love, the Son. You know what the common thread is? God! It's His! We're getting away from Him. Folks, God has given us this design. And He's deployed us so the world can know. But let me just give you a shocker right here. When you think about your identity, He designed us, He deployed us, that He can find the light In us, that He can find delight in us. Have you ever thought about why God made mankind? He made mankind, you and me, Adam and Eve, forward. He made us to enjoy fellowship with us, He made us to enjoy us, He made us to walk with Him. It's obvious as you read the Scripture. From the beginning, God came and He walked with them. He found pleasure in fellowshipping with them. Now, he and, and they enjoyed a life with an identity like you and I can only dream of. When you read Genesis 3.8, after they had sinned, God came walking, as it says, in the cool of the day. It was obvious to any reader that this was not an unusual thing. God came regularly to walk and talk with them. I want you to think about this. Think about the life they had. God gave them a life with no pain, no sickness, no suffering, or death. They had everything they could dream of. Living in a world with, <laughs> Lori, one rule. You should have seen your students the other day. I was in her class, and when I said that... They were living in a world with one rule. You couldn't have covered their eyes with silver dollars. Obviously, they feel like they live with too many rules today. One rule, don't eat the fruit. And for good measure, the first couple had face-to-face fellowship with God. God made it a point to come and walk and talk and fellowship with them. Perhaps their first sin. I want you to hear this. Perhaps their first sin was they lost the wonder of a relationship with their Creator. Perhaps they lost the wonder of being connected to their God. If that's true, that would answer a whole lot of questions for us. But don't jump on them too quickly for losing the wonder because, listen... God has done so much for us through Christ Jesus. And many times we lose the wonder. We just it just it becomes so so. I mean we get excited about a lot of things, but we don't get excited much about being connected with God the Father, the creator of the universe. We can get excited about football, basketball, golf, baseball, Fish and hunt. We can get excited about all kind of things. But let's not get too excited about Jesus. And one of the reasons that we don't get excited about our Lord is because perhaps we don't find our identity in Him. I want to give you a warning today. Be careful what you find your identity in. Young people, you're hearing this at a good age. If you find your identity in your wealth, what's going to happen when the stock market crashes or the government changes currency? If you find your identity in your job... What's going to happen one day when you are laid off or that job closes? Or if you're a business owner or your business goes upside down? Let's get a little personal. If you find your identity in your marriage, what happens one day when you lose your mate? Yes, either through debt or she walks in one day and she says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. He says, I found somebody else. In fact, when we were searching for Brother Kevin, one candidate told me privately. He said, "Almost twenty years ago, we were serving, and my wife told me she would. She didn't want to be a minister's wife. She already had her bags packed and was gone. If you put, if you put your identity in your family." What happens, God forbid, that a disaster happens and your family is gone? Here's the warning. You, we need to be careful. And probably should never put our identity in something that we can lose or someone can take away. Learn the lesson from the garden. Satan can and has given the opportunity will rob your Identity. He stole their identity and it's still plaguing us today. Their identity in God when they were obedient was they were designed to live sin free. Today we are sin filled. They were designed to live pain free. Today we are pain filled. They were designed for immortality. Today, we're mere mortals. We have to discover our identity through Jesus Christ, God's Son, because it's only in Jesus that we can reclaim our identity. Romans says, with the heart you believe, and we love that part, but it says... With a heart we believe, but it results in righteousness. That righteousness is action and activity. It it, it is a change of heart. It is a change of attitude. It is a change of mind. It is a change of actions. It's a change of what we do. And when we find ourselves and our identity in Christ, here's what happens. The world sits up and takes notice because just automatically we're showing the world God's glory, God's holiness, God's love, God's grace, God's Son, and God's Gospel. It's that new creation that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. When we change our identity from, I'm just me... I'm who God wants me to be. I'm who God designed for me to be. The world sets up and takes notice. When we discover our identity in Christ, it moves us down the path. This cultivating discipleship, it moves us down the, a path to the second part of this message, our ident- our intimacy. Our intimacy. Intimacy is not a word that we use In public, much. And it relates to how we know somebody. I got to thinking about it. And uh, uh, use dating and marriage about intimacy. You date somebody. If you do it right, there are some people that don't do it right. If you do it right, you date, you get to know each other, and you get connected from that together time. With the tongue in my cheek, so nobody goes to tell Deborah that I'm picking on us, is that, but it leads to you getting married. And what I call the shock of marriage. Only long time people, only people who've been married a long time know what I'm talking about. The shock of marriage. And it can be summed up in three words. I never knew. I never knew that he left his socks all over the house. I never knew she didn't like to do laundry. I never knew that he wouldn't help me clean the kitchen anymore after we got married. I never knew. You know what happens? Is that from the time from leaving your spouse at home, leaving your your girlfriend at her house, and going to your house. Together, when the day's over, you start spending time together and it gets real intimate real quick. Hello? The truth is, my question for you at this point right now how would you describe your relationship to God through Jesus? You can lie to me, you can lie to people, but you can't lie to yourself or to God. Would you say it's an intimate relationship? Would you say it's a distant relationship? Or would you say it's a non-existent relationship? You see, that's what this whole message is about. The truth is our intimacy. It can't be all three. It can't be intimate. Distant and non-existent. It has to be one of the three. You see, the truth is, is that the reason you come to know your spouse so intimately is because you move in together, you spend time together, you see them at their best, you see them at the worst, you hear their voices. I told Deborah the other day, I said, you know, one of the things as I've been developing this message is that things we used to fight about, we laugh at today. If you've got your Bible open, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I want you to look at the Ephesians 1 passage. There's some things that we need to know. I'm familiar with what time it is. Just hang with me just a few minutes. Verse 1 and following. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sin, according to the riches of his grace that he richly or lavishly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made, us, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring us to bring everything together in Christ both things in heaven and things on earth in him in him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to His glory. In Him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. From that text, I want to end... I want to end just giving you three thoughts that Paul teaches us about intimacy with Christ. If you're not listening to anything else, give me about five, seven minutes. First of all, his position for you. Did you read it? Did you catch it? Double-digit times in those 13 verses, Paul uses the phrase in him, in the beloved, or in Christ. Perhaps this moment right now is the time for you to examine your relationship to Christ. Intimate, distant, non-existent. Essential question. it's a necessary question, it's an eternal question. It's a question about where you will spend eternity. The only way to be in Christ, please listen, the only way to be in Christ is for Christ to be in you only way for me to have christ in me means that i i we have believed we have trusted we have followed christ by repenting of sin and turning to him for forgiveness for healing for cleansing for a new way of life and it's a way of life that can only be found in him when we discover our identity in God the Father, we will desire, please listen, we will desire to have an intimate relationship in Christ with God because of who He is, because of what He's done, because of what He wants to do, but because of what He can do. When we are in Jesus, our roots grow deep. Our relationship grows strong. And we begin to take all the characteristics of the one we're trying to become like. Because that's what discipleship is. Being a disciple is being a learner, being a follower, being an intern, and becoming like your master. It begins with being in Christ. That's His position for you and me. The second thing that I read here is His promise. His promise for you and I. When we answer the call to follow Him, and I'll pause there. Please listen. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. The only initial call that's given to you and me is follow me. That's all Jesus ever said. He said to the disciples, you follow me. When we follow him, Jesus doesn't desert us and leave us on our own to do our own things. Kind of like taking a newborn baby, stick him in the crib, putting the milk there, putting the food there, and putting the diapers there. and Say, hey, okay, buddy, take care of yourself. That's not what he does. He sent us... The Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost. The Holy One. The Comforter. The Helper. Or use the Bible word, the paraclete. The Greek word, the paraclete. It's a word Jesus used, in John 14 through 16. It means advocate. It means intercessor. It means helper. In fact, if you look at that word paraclete, the, the prefix para means one to stand alongside of. It's kind of like a paralegal stands alongside a lawyer and a paramedic stands alongside a doctor. Jesus wants our relationship to be so intimate that He gives us help, divine help, in knowing Him. If you look down verse 13, you also discover that when you get the Holy Spirit, this is a down, it's only the down payment. It's only the down payment of something better. It's kind of like when you buy a house or a piece of property. You give the down payment, it becomes yours. But there's so much more when you finally get that paid off. You see, folks, this advocate, this spirit that I try to speak a lot about because I believe that when we learn to live and walk and move in the spirit, we'll learn to live and walk and move in power like the world has not seen for a long time. But never, never forget this. The Holy Spirit. We have to stay away from sin. The Holy Spirit will encourage you to spend time with Jesus. The Holy Spirit will be available to you as a conscience to give you advice and counsel. The Holy Spirit can make life, can make life exciting, new, fresh, full, wonderful. That occurs when we get intimate with Him. That's His promise for us, the Spirit. His position for us is in Him. The third thing that I I know is His plan for us. Jesus wants to know you and wants you to know Him on a first name basis. Hello? He doesn't want it to be a distant relative. He doesn't want to be a distant friend or or a friendly acquaintance. He wants you to know Him. What does that mean? When you become intimate with Jesus, His plan for you is to know His Word, to know His will. and listen. And know His ways. His ways. The best way I know to explain that, and I'm done. Miss Deborah and I have been married just a few years shy of 50 years. If, I'm, if I walk into a room where she's there and there's a big crowd, say like our fellowship hall, if she's there, I can walk in, perk my little ears up and my hearing aids up, and I can pick her voice out. Because I've heard her talk so much. No, I'm... Because I'm so familiar with her voice. We go to a wedding. I can just tell you. We go to a wedding. I don't know the best way to express this. But I know that she's going to get very tender and... all right, for the guys, I'll just tell you. She's going to get ooey-gooey at a wedding. She's... She's going to be all over me touching and we're going to talk tend- because that's how, it, that's how it affects her. I didn't find that from her daddy or her mother. I didn't find that out. I found that out from spending time with her. Here's the thing. Your intimacy and you're learning about the, the ways of God, not just knowing His Word, what He says, not just knowing His will, what He wants you to do, but knowing His ways. There comes only one way and that's for spending time with Him. Knowing Him. Knowing is a very intimate term. Genesis, it says, Adam knew Eve and gave birth to a son. It's that kind of intimacy. So I end here. Who are you? Depends on your identity. It also depends on your intimacy. How intimate are you with the Lord? Is your relationship intimate? Intimate? Is it distant? Or is it non-existent? If it's non-existent, just a moment. We're going to sing. Just a moment. We're going to sing. And when we sing, if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never trusted Christ, you can come see Brother Kevin over here and me over here. And when you when you come, we'll talk to you about knowing what it means to. To trust Christ. And then you can have that close, personal, intimate relationship. If your relationship is distant today, today, it's likely because of sin. Because you've let other things get between you and God. You may not need to talk to us. You may just need to come talk to the Lord. Whatever you do, find your identity in God. Whatever you do. Allow Him to control your life. Let's pray together.